All right, I'm, I'm excited to be back. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 is where we will be today. And we are, um, well, let's, let's, uh, let's open up to Matthew 20, beginning in verse 1. And once you find that, whether it's on your app or whether it's in your paper Bible or your pew Bible, however you're looking at God's Word, let's stand together as we read God's Word. I'll read this for us. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. I'll read this for us. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you too go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers in and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last ones worked only one hour, And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this time. We're thankful for your word. We ask that you would allow it to sink deep into our hearts and that your Holy Spirit would come and partner with this word, the words of Jesus, and do a work in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may take a seat. So we have been spending the summer, uh, and last week I want to thank um, Jim for stepping in and filling the pulpit on my behalf. I've not yet had a chance to listen. Again, vacation. This week I'll listen. Monday's a great day to get caught up on this stuff, but thank you so much, Jim, for bringing God's Word last week. So we've been hearing this summer, spending time listening to the stories that Jesus told. And we're reminded, we're reminded that when we come to our child's bedside or our grandchild's bedside, they don't say, you know, they don't say, Grandma, um, read me some statistics. You know, they don't say, they don't say, Grandpa, they don't say, Grandpa, what are the polling numbers? You know, they they don't say, they don't say, you know, uh, Dad, give me a lecture, right? (laughs) I don't know if your kids do that. If they did, you know, they're more godly than mine, right? 
but no, we, we, we crave story. There's something about story that circumvents the lectures, the, 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 the numbers, uh, and, and just the raw data. It's indirect. It gets in the back door. It kind of allows us to be taught with our defenses down. Because when someone comes straight at us, we have a tendency to have our defenses up. But Jesus found a very capable and a very effective way of bringing truth deep into our hearts by telling stories. And some of these stories are realistic and some are not realistic. And oftentimes what we have is we have these kind of realistic settings, but with unrealistic activity. And that's actually one of the things that we have today. And so this morning we come to a story of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew, and it's, called, it's what we call a kingdom parable. And uh, kingdom parables, Jesus is trying to illustrate what is the kingdom of God, or, or better yet, if God is a king, what are the characteristic features of his reign on this earth? So when, as, as Americans, we know what the, the characteristic nature of being an American, Ameri- just not just an American, but an American, right? We know, all right, sorry, I'll be here all week with the jokes. I thought a week off would help but evidently it has not. But this idea that we know what kind of the characteristic nature of being an American is, or some of the characteristic nature of being uh, European, or, or being, from a, a, being Italian, or being Spanish, or being German or English, those kind of characteristic features. And so the question that Jesus is asking, or is trying to answer is, if we are citizens of the kingdom of God under his reign, then what are the characteristic sensibilities and issues that come with being part of that kingdom, of that reign? And so the kingdom of God, Jesus tells a number of stories that talk about and that illustrate this idea of what is the nature of the kingdom of God? What is God's reign like? What, characteris- what characterizes his manner of governing? What are the characteristic means of relating to his people? And add to that, what are the characteristic tensions in us as citizens of such a king? And we oftentimes don't think that having such a ruler will produce tension in us. Have you ever experienced some tension at being a child of God? I hope you have. Sometimes it's very joyful, but sometimes it's amazing and sometimes it's disturbing. And what we're going to find today is that in our parable, we find that the kingdom of God, God's characteristic reign, that the kingdom of God is a place of grace and generosity. As we, as we hear this, we're going to unpack this parable in just a moment. And that God's grace and generosity have certain characteristic effects upon us, do they not? When you encounter generosity, when you encounter graciousness toward you, you have certain, it, it elicits a response, does it not? And that God's grace and blessing of his people can be felt as amazing. Somebody should write a song about that, right? Okay? Unearned blessing flowing out of a heart of love directed at me. I I feel that. That's amazing. At the same time, Nobody wrote that hymn. Disturbing grace. 
Okay, but that's what this parable in many ways is about, an open pocketbook for those that we particularly think are unworthy or undeserving or who have done less than us can move us to begin to look at others with what in Jesus' day was called eye or an eye of envy. And so we have a parable today about God's amazing grace But that same grace experienced by some will also be a disturbing grace to others. And we ask the question, what does it mean for us to be citizens of this sovereign, in this kingdom, where such amazing grace is poured out, oftentimes not on us, but on other people? And what happens in our own hearts when we encounter that king? You guys with me today? All right, let's dig in. Let's take a look. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. Let's look at this parable and see where it directs us. I don't know, like, are you ready to be disturbed? And I, I might not even have to ask this question because you might already know what I'm talking about, right? Where you see someone experience the blessings of God and you're like, you got all kinds of thoughts about that person. And you might even say some things about that person because they don't deserve that. What do we do when we serve a God who loves to be generous? What do we do? And he doesn't doesn't really care who he pours it out on either. He doesn't follow our own sensibilities. And so what do we do as children in this kingdom, as people in this kingdom? What do we do? All right, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. Again, we are 2,000 years removed. We're on a different continent. We're speaking a different language. And so let's fill in some of these gaps in terms of what this might look like. So this man, this landowner, a head of a household, someone who is really the head of a, of a household, children, servants, is able to, has, has land, has enough land to not only have crops, but also to have a dedicated space to grow grapes, to grow a vineyard. And with this idea, Jesus doesn't say what exactly is going on in his vineyard. It might be harvest time. It might be, he might need to hire people to do the harvest, to to take the grapes down so that they can can bring them in and, and press them and make them into wine. Or he could actually be building his vineyard. And if you're in uh, Palestine, in the ancient world, and even today, vineyards would oftentimes be built into sides of mountains and terraced. So maybe this man needs someone to come in and do the work of terracing. So cutting out the rock, putting in soil, uh, putting in like beds so that you can plant the vines. Maybe he needs to plant the vines. Maybe he needs to build the trellises. Or maybe he needs to plant a hedge around his vineyard. Or maybe he needs to dig out the wine press so that he can put rocks in there so that he can actually build and and have a place to press the grapes so that wine would come out. And that all takes some engineering. Whatever it is, he's got this vineyard improvement project going on, okay? And so he needs to go out and hire laborers in his vineyard. So what does he do? He goes down to Home Depot or Lowe's or he goes on to the corner of Cambridge and Taft, okay? And he finds the place where he knows that day laborers will congregate. 
Here in Orange, it's, it's out on the corner out here. Um, in Santa Ana, at the Home Depot, there's a big Home Depot on Edinger. There's a lot of, at the beginning of the day, there's day laborers. You guys have probably, have you seen, have you seen day laborers congregate? So down in Laguna, there's a place where people congregate. If you need work for a, a day, you can go and you can hire day laborers. This, this is still the case today. So he goes down to the marketplace to secure his supplies and to hire his day laborers. Now here's a little bit, maybe a little bit of um, background on day laborers even today as in the ancient world. So day laborers in the first century would have been people who did not own their own land. Okay? Um, and they were also not people who were attached to a certain landowner. So landowners would have their family, they would work the land. Um, you would also have um, servants or slaves that were not paid but taken care of to work the land. And you would also sometimes have people that either lived on the land or around the land that were wage earners that were attached to that estate. But every once in a while, when you had a big project or, or harvest time, you would need to go and hire other people to be part of your workforce for that day. Now, here's the deal. People with land in the ancient world, there, was, we didn't have, there weren't banks or um, paper coinage, or even right now we have invisible money, right? And the government likes to print a lot of invisible money. Um, okay, no, look, we don't have to get into economics, but it's all invisible, and so it's just numbers. But there's no such thing as that in the ancient world. You either had coinage, okay, but even then you couldn't have enough coinage for net worth. You wouldn't have all of your, you wouldn't have all of your assets liquid in terms of coinage. So the way you had wealth was you had, you had things and you had land. And land was a mark that you were stable. If drought came, you could peel off some of these layers of people that were attached to you, and you could just work your own land with your own family and weather the storm. Day laborers were on the edge and the fringe of society. If drought came or economic hard times came, the land did tend to turn inward into their own family, and day laborers would be out of work. They would not have a place to earn money. They were on the fringes. They were the first ones to feel it when times got hard. And that's probably not any different from even today. As you walk, as you, as you, as you look out on Taft and Cambridge, and you look at day laborers, and you think there, there are some people who live, and they, 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 we all experience this to some degree, how maybe you measure, did I have a good year or not? You live kind of year by year in, your, in, in what you earn. Or maybe you're month to month, like, did I have a good month? And you're more month to month in your income. Or maybe you're more week to week, like, did I have a good week? Day laborers are asking, did I have a good day? And they measure how they're doing, not on a year-to-year -year basis or a month-to-month -month basis, but on a day-to-day -day basis. And so as Jesus tells a story, he's telling a story of someone who owns land, who has a project, who hires day laborers, and this, these dynamics would have been very much in the mind of those that are hearing this story. It's not, a, it's not an agreement among equals here. 
This is someone who has wealth, and he must have a lot of wealth because he's going to hire a lot of people, right? And then at the end of the day, he's just going to say, yeah, pull out the, just pay them all. Like, how much money is he going to have on hand? So anyway, we'll get to this in a second. But the story that Jesus is telling is a story of there's a man with, with land and wealth, and he's hiring day laborers. All right, you guys with me so far? All right. Um, so he goes early in the morning. It says, um, he goes early in the morning about dawn. Dawn is the word that is used. It says early in the morning about dawn to the marketplace where we'd expect to find people looking for work for the day, and he finds some, and he strikes a deal with them. And this is the deal, verse 2. That's a lot in verse 1. You wonder, you're like, how do we, that's a lot of stuff. That, it only says a little bit, in, but that's all there. Okay, in, in verse 2. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So the agreement that he strikes with the workers is this mutual decision. Um, and work for the day that the pay would be a denarius. And, and this would make sense. Jesus' parable right now makes sense. You've got a, a landowner who needs workers, goes and hires workers, and he agrees to pay them the going rate for a day of labor, which is a denarius. In the ancient world, a denarius was what a day's worth of work would have been. Now, the equivalent of that, we've talked a little bit about money in here um, in the ancient world, but the equivalent of a day's work of labor today, um, right now, um, if you have a, a business of under 25 employees, minimum wage is $13 an hour. If you have more than 25 employees um, in your organization, then minimum wage is $14 an hour, okay? By 2023, it'll be $15 an hour. And that, you know, no, look, we can talk economics later, but obviously Jesus knew a little bit about economics. But all that to say, the average daily wage of a farm worker, essentially, according to the department of um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the, the, the average wage, the average wage is about $26 an hour nationwide. That's the average wage. For farm workers, the average wage is about $13 an hour, okay? That's what farm workers are today. So average daily wage for about eight to 10 hours of work is about $130 to $150 a day. That's about a day's worth uh, that's day's wages, okay? And I'm not making this up. This is straight off the Department of Labor website, okay? You guys with me? All right, when was the last time you were on the Department of Labor website? Looking at non-farm in, uh, okay, all right. So the agreement is mutu it's mutually agreeable. We meet down at 6 a.m., I'll give you a denarius if you come work in my vineyard, and they say yes. And that's gonna be important for later in the story, right? That's going to be important that they, they think that this is a mutually agreeable thing, okay? Now, how many workers does he hire? It doesn't say how many. It just says multiple workers. If Jesus were listening to this, or if Jesus were, were telling this, and the people listening to this in the first century, they might have thought, well, he sounds like he's got a big vineyard. Maybe, I don't know, any, you guys have any numbers? How many people would he hire? Eight, eight is pretty generous. I was thinking five. That's pretty good. You got a big project, but eight is good. Anybody else think in your head how many? Maybe you're thinking three. Maybe you're thinking a lot, but there's a lot. He's got more to come. So, so hang on. Start, start conservatively, right? Okay. Five, let's say five to ten workers. One day of work will earn them a denarius, about $130. And the point is that all parties agree it's fair and mutually beneficial. So our vineyard owner is off to a good start on his vineyard improvement project, but for some reason, he finds it necessary to go back to the marketplace later 
that morning. Verse 3, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. All right, so if you have the ESV, if you're reading out of the New International Version, it doesn't say the third hour, it probably says what? Anybody have the NIV? It says 9 a.m. 9 a.m. is the third hour, okay? And they they count hours from sunrise, about 6 a.m., to the third hour, which would be about 9 a.m. So he goes at 6 a.m. and he finds workers, comes back, then he comes back, same place, and he finds more workers at 9 a.m. And then he says this, he doesn't agree to a denarius, He agrees to whatever is right or whatever is just. Now, those it says in here, there's a lot of different interpretations of this parable about what does it mean that they're standing idle in the marketplace. To some, some people are going to say, these people are no good skis, okay? That that they're, they're, um, they're lazy, that they're standing idle. But really, they, if, you have, if you have 20 people on the corner or at Home Depot or in the marketplace, and a guy comes and says, I need five guys, how about you? And pick four friends, and then they grab their four friends, you jump in the back of the truck, and they're off to go, right? And then there's other 15 that are still waiting for other work. Now, he comes back three hours later at 9 a.m., and there's still some people there. So he says, okay, let's take some more. So 9 a.m., his project seems to be large enough to justify enlisting these others. And again, it says he gets more workers, plural. I don't know how many now. What do you guys think? More than one. Three more. Let's go three more, okay? So he started with five to ten. We'll go eight just for Mary Beth. And then he gets three more. So now he's up to 11. Why don't we round it up to 12? Because that's a good biblical number, okay? So at 9 a.m., he's got 12 people. Now, no promise of a denarius. Just go into the vineyard and you'll get a fair wage. What would be a fair wage? A denarius, one denarius, in, in, in Roman currency would be 16 Assyrians. An Assyrian, so one sixteenth. You got one sixteenth of a denarius is an Assyrian. So right now, we'd be at 12 Assyrians, three quarters of a denarius. Okay, so they go. Whatever's right, I will give you. They're like, well, that's the best deal I've got today. I've been here for three hours already. I'll go for whatever's fair. Okay, so they went, verse 5. Also in verse 5, it says, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So he finds a reason to go back to the marketplace at noon. He does the same thing. And then he does the same thing at 3 p.m. And it expressly says that he does the same thing. So whatever's fair, whatever's just, I will give to you. So at this point, noon workers would expect half a wage, eight Assyrians. And 3 p.m. workers could expect a quarter wage, four Assyrians. So, okay, let's say he gets three more. So he's got, he starts with eight, then he gets four more, he's got 12 He goes back maybe three more, 15, and then let's say another three. Now he's at 18. Let's round up to 20. He's at 20 workers in the vineyard. And it's three o'clock. Quitting time is about six. 
In verse 6 it says, at about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. The 11th hour is 5 p.m. We have that, in our, in our culture, the 11th hour is, is an idiom, right? You do thing, something at the 11th hour, you do it at the last minute, okay? Because 12 hours is the full day. 12 hours is the full day. So at 5 p.m., he goes and he founds others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So he finds some reason to go out at 5 p.m. Quitting time is at 6. He finds others standing without work. Now again, back to this idea, there's the debate about these, these people who are standing idle. Are they ne'er-do-wells? You know, what, what is, are these people lazy? Did they show up late? I mean, who shows up in the marketplace to get a job at 5 p.m.? But whatever the case, have they been there all day? Now, in, what Jesus is probably doing here is that among day laborers, it is probably the strongest, most energetic, cleanest, those with the best attitude and reputation that get hired earlier in the day, right? Those that are better networked. Hey, you look strong, I'll take you, you pick four friends. That's about, is this the strongest and the best networked? So they get the first shot at this. You come back, you, get, you go for more of the strong, maybe the cleanest, right? Someone who looks like they have a good attitude, someone's the most polite, someone who can do work. And all day long, the people that are there at 5 p.m. are those who are not the strongest, they are the ones with not the best reputation. It's not that they're lazy. They simply do not have what you would be looking for in a day laborer that would get hired at 6 a.m. So in descending order, those who do not appear as strong, as energetic, as well-kept, questionable reputations, this is what the owner of the vineyard found. He found the least, the last, the overlooked, and the rejected. They had been there all day. Multiple people had come by to hire day laborers, and these people had been overlooked and rejected over time all day. And his words are emphatic. If you look back in this passage, he says, um, he says even you go into the vineyard too. Even you go into the vineyard. I think just as we just take a step back from this, and as people are hearing this, as Jesus is telling this story, there's already a bit of a note of grace to this, right? That the least, the last, the overlooked, the rejected, that this owner of the vineyard, who in the parable, spoiler alert, represents God, okay? I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but that's, that's what this, that even there's a note of grace that this man who has some wealth is going out and hiring as many as he can. He's going to pay them whatever is fair at this point. A couple of Assyrians at the same time. They were going to get nothing at the beginning of the day. By the end of the day, they were going to have nothing. And there's already a note of grace that would have been caught by the hearers of this parable. For day laborers in the ancient world to find a full day of work was a feat in itself. And these are already people on the edge of the economic system. And now you have the weak among them 
on the very edge of the economic system. Even in good times, they might not find work. So there's already a note of grace. So 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., five trips to Home Depot. If that's what the kingdom of God is like, then the kingdom of God has come in my household because I have gone to Home Depot five times in one day to get something. Anybody else? Anybody else want to admit that? Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Because you think you know what you need. You think you know. And then you get there, and, and then you go back, and you're like avoiding cashiers because you don't want the same cashier. Have you, look, I am not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. Okay? But if this is what the kingdom of God is like, then I feel very godly. Right? All right. There you go. So all that to say, five trips to the Home Depot in one day, there you go. The more trips, the more trips to Lowe's Home Depot, the more godly you are. Just remember that. Okay. All right. And then we come to a very unexpected twist in this parable. And this is what Jesus is doing. And all this to say that, again, this is a very familiar image in the ancient world, but it's, this would not have been, like, parables are realistic and unrealistic all at the same time. It's realistic that a man would go down and hire vineyards. It's unrealistic that a man would go this many times and, 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 and have uh, workers come. But Jesus is building to a point because Jesus is not just telling a story. He's teaching something, and he's teaching it through the back door. We all know what we would feel like if we were hired early in the day and more and more people kept showing up. Now, we'll get, we'll get to that in just a second. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired at the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. So, it became evening, 6 p.m., the twelfth hour, quitting time, 6 p.m., sundown. And it was customary, according to the Torah, for a day laborer, you could not hold their wages to the next day. The Torah even realized that people who were on the edge of the economic system, if they worked that day, you needed to pay them at the end of the day because that was probably what they were going to use to feed their family. Because they didn't have savings, they didn't have land, they didn't have crops, they didn't have storehouses. They needed the wage at the end of the day. Now, this is one thing about the ESV that I think does not do justice to the parable, the way they translate this, because it says, um, when he calls the foreman, it says, pay them their wages. But that's not what it says in Greek. Because if, if that were the case, you would expect, pay them whatever's fair, their wages. Whatever their wages are, pay them. So you would expect the Assyrian breakdown, right? But the owner of the vineyard doesn't say, pay them their wages. He says, Call them in and pay them the wage. The wage. So it's not the foreman who's being generous, okay? You would think, like, maybe the foreman's like, hey, I'm just going to throw out denarius here. But no, it's the owner of the vineyard who says, call them all in and pay them the wage. Give them the wage. So there is, and, and, and when he says give them the wage, beginning from the first or the last until the first. So those who were hired at the, at the 11th hour, pay them first, and then work your way backwards. 
And this is where the grace and generosity of the Lord of the vineyard is revealed to the reader. We, we are revealed, the reader is revealed of the grace and generosity of the owner of the vineyard because we're privy to the conversation between the owner of the vineyard and the foreman. We know that the grace is coming. The workers don't know what's happening yet. They just, the last ones come and they get a denarius, a full day's wage. And this is where we see the impact of grace, this double-sided, amazing and disturbing grace. The last come first, they all receive a full day's pay. Those rejected by other employers who only worked for a short time in the cool of the afternoon, no less, when the shadows were getting longer and there was more shade, when there were many other workers working alongside them so that many hands make light work, they all receive a full day of pay. This must have been jolting to them. This must have been strange, surprising, a surprising departure from the world of day laborers who are oftentimes taken advantage, taken advantage of. I would imagine the same is the case today. These are people without a lot of protections. They're already on the edge of society. There have been stories, story after story in the Central Valley of migrant workers getting bilked out of their pay for a whole season. Unethical people that would take advantage of those without protections. In a world of cheap labor, where most of the day laborers are at the mercy of their hirers, they must have thought, I didn't earn this today. This is not what I'm worth today. I only worked one hour. We ultimately, I think the interesting thing about this parable and other parables, we don't hear their response. I was thinking about the parable of the prodigal son. You guys, we, we talked about the, the so-called parable of the prodigal son, the story of the, 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 uh, the, man, the father with two lost sons. The one, the prodigal, goes away and comes home, and he has a speech prepared, and we hear a lot about what, what he's going to say, but once he's brought in and his father embraces him, and he, they kill the fatted calf, he's just seated at this table with a robe on and sandals on his feet and a ring on his hand, and this calf slaughtered before him, cooked up, ready to go. We don't hear another word from him. We don't know what his response to grace is. And I think in many ways, we don't need to know because we've all experienced this, that when we've experienced grace, it leaves us kind of speechless. Like we're dumbfounded. When somebody somebody is super generous to you, you say, I don't know what to say. Thank you. you. Sometimes it's just so overwhelming that you don't even know how to respond. I think like when you think about like watching a basketball game and somebody makes a last second shot, all you can do is go, yeah, you know, like you have no words. Either you're, you sit in stunned silence or you're cheering, but it's very hard, like the cordialities of all this. These people are just walking up expecting a couple of Assyrians on there on the edge of society. At the the end of the day, they didn't think they were going to take anything home to their family. And now they sit with a full day's pay. I mean, you can imagine just the jaws drop, like, okay, like, what do you say? I mean, do you say, well, this isn't really what I am worth? No, you say, "Ah, thank you. Like, what do you say? So when people experience grace, real grace, I would argue that we're dumbfounded by it. 
we're speechless by it or we're cheering and we have no idea, like we're just letting loose. And so whatever's happening, we don't know what their response is. We know, but we know what a proper response to grace is, right? It's gratitude. And Jesus' hearers would have expected that these folks would have felt a rich and deep sense of gratitude. Even if they aren't saying anything, they, they're dumbfounded. But the proper response to grace is gratitude. When people encounter grace, the real thing, the, a real surprising turn of grace, the thing about grace is grace always comes in a surprise. If you don't, if you don't experience it as a surprise, you're planning on it, that's not great. Like, you know it's coming. You're planning for it. But real grace is when it takes you off your feet. Like, it lands you on your heels. You don't know it's coming. And when people experience that kind of grace, it knocks the words out of our mouth. Standing in the middle of a vineyard at 6 p.m. with a denarius in your hand, when at 5, there was no dinner for you or your family. Sitting at a banquet table in front of a now-cooked fattened calf, robe, ring, sandals, when you were just hoping to come home and become a servant. Grace is amazing. But grace does other things too. We don't often talk about it openly, but grace also has a tendency to disturb us. Verse 10. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And maybe there's a bit of understanding that we might have to these folks, because they worked all day long, they were there at 6 a.m., Johnny on the spot, not late, ready to go, work boots on, tool belt on, ready to go. They planned ahead, and understandably, they begin to imagine they might be getting more proportionally. The last people come in, they get a denarius, 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 but they've been there all day. Now, at the beginning of the day, at the beginning of the day, a denarius sounded like good money. But if we had known what you were going to do, we had known you were going to do this. We worked 11 more hours than the ones who came last. But they received what we had originally agreed to work for. And so, in this case, the response to grace is not gratitude. The response to grace is grumbling. They grumbled at grace. Now, here's the deal. Their complaint is directed against the vineyard owner. But the envy they feel, because we're going to talk about envy in just a second, the envy they feel is directed at the other workers. They grumble to the vineyard owner, but their envy is directed at the other 
their fellow workers, that their complaint is rooted in comparison. They, the last ones, worked only one hour in the cool afternoon, but you've made them equal to us. And they say, we've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. I've been to Israel. The first time I went to Israel, we climbed Masada. It's out in the desert. It was 110 degrees. Like, it's the kind of heat that you just wanted to punch people. Maybe that's just me. But that's how hot it was. And it, it pal- the Palestinian sun, now I've also been when it's, it, it's been pretty cool. We, the next year I went back, it was 75 degrees. We walked up the snake path. We didn't, you know. Anyway, but it can be hot. And they, look, it's scorching heat. You've made them equal to us. Now their complaint may have been directed against the owner of the vineyard, but their beef was with the other workers. The owner of the vineyard makes it clear what's going on in the hearts of these workers um, who are grumbling. He asks at the end of the parable, is your, he says, is your eye envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I am generous? And this is the thing about envy. Envy, see, there's a little bit, I, I want to talk, Jesus talks about envy here. He talks about, is your eye evil? It means the evil eye in the ancient world was the envy, that you would look at someone with envy. And that's the evil eye. You, it would be you give them the evil eye because you're envious of them. Now, they grumble towards the owner of the vineyard, but they're envious of their peers. And envy happens among peers. Now, let me tell you a little bit. Here's the difference between jealousy and envy. Jealousy and envy. They're, very, they're, they're brothers, brother and sister, cousins, if you will. But when you're jealous of somebody, they have something, you want that thing. You're fine with them having it, but you want it too. I'm jealous. Okay? Envy is someone having something, you wanting it too, but add on to that, the addition is not only do you want it, but you don't want them to have it. Jealousy is I want what you have. It's fine that you have it. I want it too. Envy is I want what you have, but I don't want you to have it. That's envy. Now, just to be clear, both of those are not virtues. Neither. Neither is a virtue. I don't think it's okay. I, honestly, I, I've heard people say, I'm so jealous, I'm so jealous. It's like, look, that's not a virtue. Don't admit that. Let, confess that. Don't feed that. Jealousy and envy, those are not good things, but envy's worse. It's, it's said in the Bible that Cain kills Abel out of envy. They both present a sacrifice. Abel's is taken by God, is honored by God. Cain's is not. Cain wants what Abel has and does not want him to have it, so what does he do? He kills him. Jesus will talk about murderous envy. Pilate says that the Jewish leaders want to kill Jesus and hand him over out of envy. The Jewish leaders want power and authority of the kingdom of God. Jesus has it, as well as the popular vote. The Jewish leaders do not want him to have it, so they kill him. Now, those two stories are when envy, the worst case scenario that envy leads to, uh, to murder. But more often than not, what we have probably experienced is that envy, if you're like me, when I experience envy, it's not that I end up murdering someone. What I end up doing is slandering people. They have something I want. I don't think they should have it. And so I, that's my feeling. I have a feeling inside. But then I turn to somebody else and I tell them why that person isn't qualified for that. That's slander. And what's happening here in this parable 
is that they are now slandering. You're making them equal to us who bore the burden of the day and the scorching heat. They did not. So their envy is leading to slander. Probably a lot like our envy leads to slander. Again, I might be alone in this. Let me give you a couple of examples. Someone you know buys a new house. You want a new house too. That's jealousy. Someone you know buys a new house. You want a new house and you begin to think of all the reasons why they should not have that house. That's envy. And then you share your thoughts with someone else. That's slander. All right. Someone has a job, a new job. You want a job like that. That's jealousy. Someone has a job, you want a job like that. You begin to think of all the reasons why they should not have had that opportunity or that job. That's envy. And then you begin to talk bad about that person. That's slander. You can add in whatever, whatever you want. They, maybe a new relationship. That person has a new relationship. You want a new relationship or a new mentor or a new girlfriend, a new boyfriend, a new spouse, whatever that is. And you talk about then all the reasons why that person should not have that. That's envy. I've experienced plenty of envy in my life, okay? I see people, went to school with people. You know, sometimes it's like, well, they got that job because of their last name, okay? Now, now it's hitting home, isn't it? Whoa, okay. And you, you start to feel that darkness. You start to feel that darkness. It's hard. Sometimes it's hard to be, it's hard to be thankful when other people are blessed. Sometimes it's hard. And, that, and what we want to note is that that's dark. And Jesus says, one of the tensions you're going to have in the kingdom of God is you are going to serve a king who loves to bless people that you don't like. Because he loves to bless everybody. He's so generous. He's so generous. And one of the tensions that you're going to have is you are going to live in the tension of jealousy and envy if you are in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus says at the end of the parable, the vineyard owner says, are you envious because I am generous? And in the kingdom of God, one of the things we have to make peace with is that God is going to bless whoever God wants to bless and he's not going to ask us first. You might have a thought or opinion, but one of the interesting things is that if you slander that person, you know what's interesting? That you're actually, you're not just slandering that person, but you're like questioning, you're grumbling against God. See, envy is directed at peers, but the, the grumbling is directed at the owner of the vineyard. And when we, when we have envy in our hearts or jealousy, what we are doing is we're envious of our, of our neighbor, of our brother or our sister, but we are grumbling at the generous God that we serve. It is a discipline to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's a discipline. And if, you, if you're in the kingdom of God, Jesus is going to say, you need to discipline yourself because it's much better to rejoice with all those who rejoice. Someone comes to faith on their deathbed an 11th hour confession. They didn't live their whole life in faithfulness to God, but in that last moment, they gave their life. Rejoice. Rejoice. God blesses someone. Rejoice. And I will just tell you this, that takes cultivation. 
You've got to practice that. And I think a good way to do that is every time you hear someone having good news, as much as you might want to be like, oh my gosh, another Facebook post, I'm dying. I don't want to see your Instagram life anymore, but look to just say, good for them. Good for them. I'll rejoice with those who rejoice. I'll mourn with those who mourn. I'll grieve with those who grieve. I'll rejoice with those who rejoice. And even if they're putting up a a rosy front, I will rejoice with them. Look at verse 13. You know, what type of a man does this? What type of a vineyard owner does this sort of a thing? Pays men who work for only one hour, a full day's wage. Verse 13, to the grumbling worker, he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? The New American Standard, or the uh, New International Version says, are you, are you envious because I am generous? Notice what he does. Look, he's the owner of the vineyard, and this day laborer who he hired at the beginning of the day comes with a complaint. You know what I would do if I was the owner of the vineyard? Hey, get out of here! I don't know, talk to the foreman. What does this owner of the vineyard do? Friend? Not, hey, worker? Like, hey, why don't you get out of here? He actually engages him in conversation. He doesn't have to engage him in conversation. And I would just say this, if you have a complaint before God, look, God, God rejoices that you come with any complaint you might have, and he will, re, he will receive you. He will also talk to you. And in this case, he doesn't snap back. The worker is a few rungs down the ladder from him. You got the Lord of the vineyard, the foreman, the other workers. He's not a peer. These are not peers. He's not obligated to have the conversation. A man who can pay out 20 denarii out of what is on hand is not obligated to a day laborer to listen to his questioning of his generosity. And he asks this question, did I wrong you? Did I wrong you? If we think about it, objectively, the people who were hired at the beginning of the day actually did less work than they were contracted for because this crazy vineyard owner kept bringing in more people to do more of the work. Actually, they did less work at the the end of the day than they would have done if he hadn't hired these other people. But the head of the house, there's so many things that Jesus is doing. We're running out of time, but one of the things he does, the head of the house, this, this beginning group, they send one representative and they say, you didn't, you're treating them like you're treating us. And then the vineyard owner says, if I choose to give to this last worker what I gave to you, he doesn't say, if I give to, choose to give to them what I gave to you all, he doesn't teach, treat them as groups. He says, look at this last worker, this last one right here, this one. Look at him. Look at him. Think about his family. You look at him good. If I choose to give this last person, not this group, 
human eye, this last person. I think this is important for us because when God looks at us, he doesn't look at us as a group. He, lo- he sees us as this last person. He sees every person. And we will get in trouble if we watch the news and we think of us and we think of them or if we experience our life on this earth or in our companies as us and them. Look at the person, one person at a time. If you want to build a heart of generosity and root out envy, look at one person at a time. That's what the vineyard owner says. If I choose to give to this, this last one, think about it. This guy had nothing at the beginning of the day. He had nothing at the end of the day. And now he's going home with a full day's pay and a story to tell about a very generous man. Don't deny him of that and don't deny me of my reputation for being generous. You get a denarius because I love you and that's what we said, this is good. Don't be envious because I am generous. And it's it's a tension that we all have to deal with as we live in the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this this story. What a great story. What a crazy story. We can only imagine, Father, what you are like. That you would be so generous to us. Thank you. But, Father, that you're also generous to people we don't like, the people that I don't like. Father, help me to have your eyes and your heart to see this last person, even to see every day laborer on the corner and to know you know them, you love them, that if we would take the time as we walk through our city, as we go to lunch today, the person behind the counter, you love them. The person serving your food, you love them. The person working on the street, on the corner, you love them, that we would see them and that we would know that your generosity extends far beyond ours would. We love you, Father. We thank you for your generosity. We pray, help us to understand and to lean into your generosity and to rejoice with those who rejoice. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.